the cross in the life of the believer. And for the last week or so, we've been talking about the cross and discipline. We're going to continue that thought for, for tonight, just a little bit longer. The discipline, and again, that, that word seems to have such a negative connotation in our day. It really shouldn't. Everybody that we look up to, everybody that we admire, admire everybody that ever did anything worth doing has been a person of that had to have a degree of discipline in their life to persevere when others didn't, to keep, uh, to keep on and stay the course that they knew was right when others did not, right? And so that, that's what we're talking about when we talk about discipline. We're not just talking about some joyless, rigid, uh, regimented life that, that has no life to it, like a robot. We are talking about an ordered life, ordered by the Holy Ghost, ordered by the Word of God, ordered by Christ, who said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's going to be an ordered life. It'll be ordered in the pattern of Christ's life and empowered by the Spirit of the Lord Himself. It'll be very ordered. It'll be very exciting. Okay? It'll be very uh, um, trying at times and so forth, but it's, it's going to be a very disciplined life. The Lord Jesus did all kinds of different things in His life, but He was not undisciplined. I'll give you a perfect example. Going to the cross. He had to be very disciplined to go to the cross. Because he could have in, it, in his own, and I know there's a mystery, so I don't want to overstep what I say, but there were times he could have chosen another course, I guess you could say. And yet, even at the very last moment, there, people tried to get him to do different things for the last three and a half years of his life. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff and kill him. They also wanted to take him, make him king. But none of those things were what he was going to do. It was like he, he could see like in the backdrop. If he's looking at a crowd of people, I believe this is just my way of thinking. That in everything he faced, whether he's cleansing the temple, preaching a sermon on, on Peter's boat you know, right offshore, or preaching the Sermon on the Mount, or healing the sick, Behind it all, I think he saw the cross. That cross was ever before him. And as a disciplined, ordered life, I'm going there. And nothing's going to stop me from going there to be the propitiation for the sins of the world. For this purpose, I came into this life. That to me is discipline. This is why I'm here. Well, y'all, we're here for one reason. We're here to serve God and to represent Him as reconcilers of men unto the Lord. We're not here for a million purposes. We're here for one purpose. The Lord can call us home anytime He wants to. I'll be glad when He does. But I don't want to die prematurely, and I don't want to die without a full reward, and I don't want to die having lived an undisciplined life and not finished my course like the Apostle Paul did, or not fought a good fight of faith. I want to finish what He's called me to do, if it's this much longer or if it's another 50 years. I want to finish what He's called me to do and I want to finish it with heart. You know what I mean? With like, with strength and heart and, and by faith in the living God. It's going to take discipline because you know very well, even tonight trying to get here, there might have been a myriad of things trying to keep you from being here tonight. Try to keep you, and while you're here, 
maybe something will take place to try to distract you from hearing what God wants to say. And then maybe after you hear what God wants to say, that something wants to distract you from hanging on to it and remembering what it was when you leave. And so, and before we leave, this, this is just what we're talking about. We're talking about discipline, okay? We're not talking about, like I said, a joyless, robotic kind of life. There were a group of many years ago, I don't know all the details of the year, but a narrator who had gone, participated in this expedition was given an account years later of a group of young men that uh, were, were brave young men and they wanted to, to climb Mount Everest, okay? And so they, they got themselves prepared for, for many, many, many months before physically getting fit. Because, and they did. They, they went up the mountain, they climbed and lived at 27,000 feet. I mean, that's, that's up there, okay? And, and they said later that dozens of others, I'm quoting, dozens of others could do the same if they only liked to. But they don't like to. You know what I'm saying? In other words, they had to prepare themselves. There was nothing supernatural about these men that climbed Mount Everest in one sense. He says dozens of others could do it if they like to, but they don't like to. It's, it's not worth it to them. I'm not saying that I really want to. You might. My, my point is that if you would put in the same work and preparations, maybe everybody couldn't do it, of course, because of their age or health, whatever. But they said dozens of others could do it if they only like to, but they don't like to it. And then he pointed to one climber and he said, this is after the trip was over and he had successfully gone up and down. And he's speaking of this one young climber, he says, many excelled him in physical fitness, but where he excelled was in spirit. His spirit drove his body to the utmost limit. His spirit would not allow him to give up. He must make one last desperate effort. He had to. It wasn't that he was necessarily stronger than the next guy who's not going to be successful. It was that in his spirit, as they put it, he, there was something in him, in his spirit, that says, I'm going to give it another try. I'm going to make that one last effort. We love stories like this. I love stories like this. I need stories like this. Now, it's just in a natural sense that they're talking that they were talking about the mountain climbers. There was one soldier as he was topping the hill going into battle. He was going up the hill into battle, into combat. And, and he, he, uh, as he, he was trembling, his body was trembling. He was afraid. But as he was going up, but he was going up, amen? And he, as he was going up to the top, he said, come on, old body, you would, you'd shake worse than that if you knew where I'm going to protect you. And so he's like, he's not subject to his body. He's, he's disciplined. He's, he's governed by something other than just the natural um, carnal things of life. Like I said, Christ had the cross before him. And this man, this soldier had whatever was worth it to him to fight for before him. His body's trembling. He says, come on, old body. You'd shake a lot worse if you knew where I was going to bring you here in just a minute. 
but he was going. You understand what I'm saying? He was moving on and going forward. And so this is what I believe what, what we're talking about and in the context of dying to ourselves <clears throat> excuse me, and living for the Lord and where discipline comes into that is more than enthusiasm. I'm, I think we need to have enthusiasm to serve God. I think we ought to serve God with passion. Okay? But, but it takes more than enthusiasm and even Holy Ghost ignited passion. It takes a Holy Ghost discipline to make disciples or soldiers of the Lord, soldiers of the cross. And that's what we're called to be. Uh, it seems to be, it's so easy to you know sit in a pulpit and point fingers. I don't want to do that. I do want to say I recognize some of the the symptoms of what we're talking about here, and, and I don't want to be part of it. I want to be part of, of the faithfulness to, to the Lord. But one one Christian minister says it seems to be supposed that that by churches that believers, young and old, instead of being recruits for Christ's army, are to just be cradled all the way to heaven. It's almost this thought in, in some Christian circles that that the whole thing about coming to Jesus is the rest of your life you're going to float on a white cloud with no pain or effort or, or struggles or duty or responsibility. But that's not to be found. Look at the 12 disciples. Of course, Judas betrayed the Lord. But as far as history records, all the other 11 were martyred. John they tried to kill and ended up dying of old age on the island of Patmos. There's no... It's not that everybody's going to die a martyr's death, okay? It is that everybody is to die to themselves. And so everything after that is just whatever. It's whatever God wants. If I want you to die for me or want you to live for me. Everything after you die to yourself and it's Christ living in you now is a crucified life. It just sounds total oxymoron, a crucified life. And yet that's what we're called to live. And so people are, are missing out. But what we see in the Bible, on the other hand, is no sooner does the Lord save someone and He says, come and follow Me. He doesn't say save somebody and then say sit tight here in some comfortable place for several years until you feel strong enough. He saved somebody. Yes, we all have to grow and mature. And the new convert may not be as prepared for certain things and wouldn't be called to certain specific things like an older, more mature saint. But everyone he saves, there's a trumpet blowing and the Lord's signaling to calling us into his army. Not sometime down the road. He, he calls us to, to follow Him. Sell what you have and follow Me. Uh, you know, let the dead bury the dead and come follow Me. Leave that stuff behind. Even in the Old Testament, we see when the Lord called Elisha to be this, you know, the, the follower to, uh, to take over for Elijah. He, he burned those 12 yoke of oxen or whatever it was and, and he, he burned it and he was gone. He was out. He was following his master Elijah, and of course, following the Lord. That's, that's the reality of the Bible. That's the reality of what God's Word teaches.
as that we're called to to serve the Lord. So a lot of times when people think of self-discipline or discipline, especially in the terms of religion, okay, the thought can be that that you're living some kind of life like a monk. You know what I mean? Like you really, all you do is is uh, you don't have any fun. <laughs> you know, you just you just pray and read the Bible, and that's all you do. And nobody can talk to you, and you can't talk to anybody, and you can't relate to anybody. And that's not at all. Do you see that in the Bible? That might be perversions that men put on religion and even Christianity. That's not what you see. Jesus related to people. Little children came up and sat on his lap, right? To be blessed. People came to him. Men came to him. Women came to him. Uh, Hebrews came to him. Samaritans came to him. People came to him. The, the Roman centurion with the sixth servant at home came to him. People, he, he could relate. He, he sat down and was accused of eating with and being friends with you know, publicans and sinners. He wasn't indulging in any kind of sin. But it's just the point of that's not a monkish kind of life. That's, that's a life, but he was very ordered. He didn't go eat with publicans and sinners to, to drink some liquor with them and to laugh at dirty jokes and to enter. And he went there to, to show them the reality of God among them, the word made flesh among them and to reach them. There is a huge difference in that. He's not a monk. He's not separated from people or from life in general in that sense, but he is totally separated in a sense of holiness unto his father, separated unto his father in the sense of singleness of purpose. The cross, the cross before me and the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. What is that? It's discipline. That's discipline. That's what we're called to do. I want you to uh, to turn to your Bibles real quickly. Let's look at First Corinthians chapter nine. Let's read 26 and 27. I think we read it last week or the week before. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. This is the Apostle Paul. So, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. So he does run and he does fight, but he doesn't run with uncertainty because he has a very single purpose. Okay? Uh, but I keep my under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. The thought about keeping my body, the really technically the, the, the phrase means to beat it black and blue. I don't believe that Paul, Paul beat his body black and blue. I do believe that the phrase he's using like a soldier or, or someone training, he's showing in physical terms what he did the, the lengths he would go to. It's like when Jesus says, if you're right, I offend thee, pluck it out, right? But I don't think that any of his disciples, you know, or people that have followed Christ have, have done that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I think the thought is the seriousness of it. The seriousness of it. To me, that's saying, don't let anything. This is how serious it is to follow the Lord and to abstain from sin and to keep on track with Christ. 
whatever hinders you from it. If your foot offends you because you keep walking into that bar room, cut it off, he's saying. The point, he's got to be, there's discipline. There has to be, bring it to the cross. Bring it to the cross. Let it be mortified. Mortify, therefore, your members, the Bible says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we don't take it seriously enough most of the time. We look at it as a bother. Man, I wish I didn't keep lying. I wish I didn't keep on doing that every time. And we're disgusted with ourselves and disappointed with ourselves, but we don't cut it off. Because there's a way to cut it off. By the power of the Holy Spirit. If you and I would take it seriously enough and hate it enough like the Lord hates it and see that this is hindering my walk with God and care enough that it does hinder my walk with God, we would cut it off. We would do whatever it takes. We would come to God and we say, I'm not getting up until you bless me, so to speak. Like Jacob wrestling with God. He ended up getting that blessing, by the way. Amen? Walked with the limp the rest of his life, but he got the blessing and the inheritance and so forth that was his. And my, my point is, Paul's simply saying that the, the measures he would go to, and he's letting the, the Lord's letting us in to it. Seeing a back, you know, background look. That Paul says, I'm preaching to others, but I got to keep myself straight because I don't want to be a hypocrite and I don't want to be a castaway. I preach to them about a holy God and a holy life and a holy spirit. And then I myself am going off over here and in, in, indulging in things that are not of the Lord. And it's not going to happen. I'm not going to let it happen by God's grace. I'm not going to let it happen. Amen. So that's all that we're talking about. Again, people might think of the self-disciplined life as being hard-hearted, loveless, but I don't see that at all in the Scripture. You might see it in people. They call themselves Christians and maybe they're misguided or so forth, but you don't see it in Christ. You don't see it in the true followers of Christ that we admire both in the Bible and the days since that, okay? Uh, we just don't. We have to, uh, to me, the most disciplined believer is not going to be hard-hearted, loveless, can't enjoy life. The most disciplined Christian is going to be the most Christ-like Christian of all. I believe that. The most disciplined one who stays the course Day in and day out, good times and bad times, when they feel like it, when they don't feel like it. I'm living for God, taking up my cross again today. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. The body of Christ is meeting. I'll be there. You know, it's time to read the Bible. I'm going to read it. Don't feel like it. You know, so forth. Uh, the one that's most disciplined like that is going to be the one most like Jesus. I believe that. And what is the life of Christ? What is the fruit of the Spirit? The first three, love, joy, peace, right? Long-suffering, gentle kindness, all these things. This is, uh, comes from the Lord. One minister said that the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You ever heard that before? I, I know you've heard the blood of the martyrs. Martyrs, they're martyred for the Lord. James was beheaded and they were getting ready to behead, behead Peter after Easter, after that feast, and, uh, and the Lord spared him. It wasn't time for Peter. But the point is, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When the church was persecuted in Saul of Tarsus' day, they, they were scattered abroad. 
They were scattered abroad. What is this? Easy? No, it's discipline. They could renounce Christ and escape the persecution. Or they could say, no, I'm holding to the Lord. If you kill me or don't kill me, imprison me, whatever happens. They were scattered abroad. And what does the Bible say? They went everywhere preaching the gospel. How about that? It's part of God's plan. But it takes a disciplined soldier not to turn tail and run. And we need the strength of the Lord to do it. He helps us to do it. You know, we're, I don't want to minimize that. We're going to talk about that more. The, the, the absolute need for the Lord at every moment and at every step in order to be successful and to be disciplined. This, this minister went on to say, referring to the church, he says, the church can thrive, thrive through persecution, but can never thrive through peace and plenty. And I thought about that. I said, if you know, and I know that probably many of you might know even more I mean, than I do about church history, but one of the, when the church was being persecuted, let's say in the days of the, the early church and the apostles, in Saul of Tarsus' day, before he was a believer, the church was growing like wildfire. Even, even in their day, the, the, the chief priests and so forth said, these men have turned the world upside down. The world. They were humble fishermen and whatever. They weren't, they weren't the priests and the rabbis and so forth. They turned the world upside down. They were being persecuted. And the more they were persecuted, the more they grew. But knowing that, that history in that part of the world, in um, three, I wrote it down, 306 to 337 AD, long after the apostles and our first church, Constantine became the emperor of Rome. And many hailed it as such a wonderful blessing because he was sympathetic towards Christianity. Every emperor up to then had hammered the church, threw him to the lions, burned him at the stake, forbidden that religion, driven them out. You understand what I'm saying? Just took their possessions, just stamped on them and stomped on them, the Christians. No friend of the world at all in the world. Constantine comes along and he embraces Christianity and he wants to be both the civil leader of Rome and he is made the first civil leader of the Roman Empire and the first religious leader. He was like a combination. There was still a pope, but he was, he was the guy. And, and all of a sudden, everybody relaxes a little bit. It's safe to be a Christian. The, Christian, the, the church was never more polluted with sin. And the Catholic church just exploded in all the indulgences and all of the, the, the mixture of unholy and unhealthy mixture of church and state. Everything was called Christian. If you're a, a witch doctor, come on in and sit right here. Just take the communion with us. We're not going to try to change your, your beliefs in the, in the fundamental beliefs, just submit to this hierarchy of Christendom. The church was never probably weaker. I can't say never weaker. I'm not the pro professor of church history. But it's, the church can become soft. We can become soft. A country can become soft. Christians can become soft. And it's not, not that we want to be hard-hearted, but we want to be hard like flint in the sense that nothing moves us. 
Nothing moves me from serving the Lord. Nothing. Not our country going to hell. It's not going to serve, stop me from serving the Lord. I'll just share this. This wasn't even going to be part of the, the message. But probably y'all, probably y'all have your finger to the pulse more than I do on a lot of current issues. But Keith Malcolmson uh, sent us something last week, I think it was, of a, a video clip of a church in Ireland. He said they're the most locked down country in the world, Ireland. This, this pastor who was having service and people were spread out and so forth and, and the police came in the middle of the service with him in the pulpit and handcuffed him and drug him, drug him out of the pulpit. This is not Nazi Germany. This is not communist China. This is not North Korea. This is not Iran. This is not Saudi Arabia. This is not Pakistan. This is Ireland. And they take him out. And the people are objecting and screaming and they're scared. And church members are scared. And you don't have a right to do this and so forth. And they put him in the police car and drive him off. Uh, then we see, just was it last night, we saw a video of New Haven. I'm sorry, New London. That's in... Canada, somewhere in Canada, New London. And same thing, the, the pastor's in the pulpit on Easter Sunday preaching. And the police come in during the service. This again, this is not Nazi Germany. This is, this is not Stalin, okay, in Russia. This is Canada to the north of us, right? In the West, the free West. And, and they, they're, they're coming to arrest him. They're coming to haul him out of the pulpit. This is not a science fiction movie anymore. 20 years ago, I could say 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, you said, uh, one day, but not, that's a long way off. It's not a long way off. It's not a long way off. It's not a long way off. It's here now. And it's like we're still in a fog, thinking that where it's not really here, that's somebody else. Well, that pastor in Ireland is a brother of yours. He's a Christian brother of yours. Now, we have brothers in these other persecuted countries that as long as we've known, they've been persecuted, like China, for example. But this is new. This is new. This is us. And I don't know how far the Lord's going to let it go before He takes us out. But however far He lets us go, it, would, I, would they, if they come to arrest me or you, are we going to say, well, uh, I think I'll just cave in right now? Just don't, don't meet anymore? Do whatever they tell me to do? We have to be disciplined. We have to hear from the Lord. We have to obey the Lord. Paul, and, uh, Peter and John were not rebellious, uncivil people. They were enemies of the state or the nation of Rome. They would have been good law-abiding citizens, just like Paul said in Romans, and Peter says, obey the kings and the magistrates and them that have the authority, we obey them. 
Where do we disobey them? Is there ever a time to disobey? And yes, there is. Whenever, and I'll say it a thousand times probably over the next however much longer we're here, um, but whenever we're commanded by a government or civil authority to disobey this right here. If they increase our taxes to unbearable levels, we have to pay them. If they, whatever, tell you can't drive a car anymore, nobody can own a car, we have to turn over our cars. But if they come to a place where they're telling us not to do what my God and Savior has called me to do, we draw the line. But if I don't know the Lord, I don't know His Word, and I'm not in harmony and in communion with the Holy Spirit continually and with His body. If our, the body is the whole body around the planet, but He puts us in communion with each other right here. We need to be in communion and fellowship with the body. Not just having barbecues and fish fries, and, and we need to do some of that, by the way. But communing in the Holy Ghost at the altar together, praying together, being of one mind, of one heart, all being subject to one another, the Bible says, and subject to the head, which is Christ. We will know what we're supposed to do. We won't be confused. You build a bunker under your house. No, it would flood in Louisiana. Okay, do you, do you store up enough food? We've talked about it for a week, for a month, for six months. I'm not saying it's foolish. I'm simply saying how much. I don't know those, those answers. I don't. Sure, I think you ought to. Yeah, about a pantry, pantry full of dry goods. Peanut butter. Okay, that'll last forever. Something like that and some clean water. I'm all for that. I'm simply, that's not the answer though. That would be wise to do. The answer is going to be walk closely to your Savior. Can you think of a safer place to be? If he hauled me off, if somebody hauled you off to jail for your faith in Jesus Christ, can you think of a safer place to be? And I'm in prison in the will of God. Now that prison, that pastor I know was let loose from prison in Ireland. The one in Canada, he kept he kept saying, "You're you're out of order." Telling the deputies and police, "You're out of order. You have no right to do this." And I don't know if he was arrested that day, but the the end of that quick story was they were out of order. They were in. By, the police were actually in violation of a specific law on the books, and that, that little situation was quickly turned around. But you see where we are, though, is the point. You see where we are. Can you see the need of discipline? Nothing to do with being joyless. Nothing to do with being a monk and not living life or enjoying life or loving our brothers and loving strangers and bringing the gospel to them and going to your children's softball game. It's not that. It's being right where God's called you to be 100% and 100% of the time. All the time. Whatever tried to keep you here from being here tonight will try again Sunday and next Wednesday.
could be fatigue. You understand what I'm saying? It could be your busy. Don't let it. Don't let it. Don't let it keep you from being here. I say it all the time. I'm not here because I'm a pastor. I'm here because I'm a Christian. Me personally, I need to be here. He's called me to be a pastor. I'm thankful he's called me to be a pastor. But I'm here tonight because I want to be. Because I need to be. Because I long to be. And, and God wants us to be a disciplined people. He doesn't just want it. We have to be. We don't want to get fat and flabby and lazy as Christians. We might have everything's comfortable in our lives and, and we get lazy. Robert Murray McShane. He said, if Satan can only make a minister into a lover of praise, I could say this for any Christian, really. If he can only make a minister a lover of praise, of pleasure, of good eating, he has ruined that ministry. He says McShane, this is a comment about him, had never been known, had ever been known as a soldier. He knew that the Christian life was a climb. It was a conflict. It was first and foremost and always a battle. He knew it. And you look at all the true Christians, again, the most disciplined to me are going to be the most, most joyful. They're going to be the most like Christ. But all, every disciplined believer gets it. They understand this life is temporal. I'm here for a little while. While I'm here, 100% of that time and 100% of that life, 100% of it has already been bought by the blood of Jesus. And it's all His. And I'm going to stay dialed in and tuned in and on my knees and in prayer and in the Word and I'm going to walk with the Lord. Innocent things in life are innocent until they're not innocent. They could have been innocent yesterday and today it's starting to interfere with my life in Christ. So it's not innocent anymore. If He says, I want you to set that aside. And yesterday it was fine for you as a Christian to do that. That's also part of just growing up in the Lord, right? There's things that we're not convicted about today. Tomorrow we're convicted about it. Don't argue with God. Lay it down at the cross. He convicted you about it. Don't fight your God about it. I've done it before. You're not going to win. Lay it at the foot of the cross. The Lord helps us. Amen. The Lord helps us. And I'm, I'm going to bring this to a close, y'all. But... Uh, how does this affect my daily life? And that's kind of what I was just touching on there. What if I'm not a minister? And it seems like you're talking about ministers a lot or the church as a whole. In our daily life, I would say, and it bringing this to a close, we have to sever. We have to sever and cut away whatever hinders our walk with the Lord. Wherever, whatever hinders me in the least little bit, that's where I have to start. And that's where I have to stop it, so to speak. That's where the knife has to come in. That's where the cross of the Lord needs to come to bear on that thing. Might be something else next week, next month, next year. Probably, there probably will be. But it's different for each person. It could be overeating. If it's overeating, 
Don't laugh at it. If the Lord's dealing with you about it, put the cross right there. It could be laziness. Put the cross right there. It could be worldliness and worldly friends and relationships. And he's saying, you got to start by cutting off those relationships right there. Oh, but I represent Christ. I'm to love them and cut it off right here. I love them more than you love them. And I, I know how to save them. And you're not going to save them by compromising. Cut it off right here. Put the cross right there. Bam. And that's where we die to ourselves. This is discipline. It doesn't mean it happens in five seconds. It might take five weeks. It might take five months. Some things go away instantly. We all have those testimonies. There's things in your life that are sinful. When you got saved, it instantly dropped by the wayside. There are other things that take time. I don't know why that is, but I know the Lord's to deliver out of all of them. And he wants some things to take more time. Maybe so we'll trust him daily on it. Day by day by day. Other things, he takes a big knife and he cuts, circumcises us from it, and it's gone. You understand what I'm saying? They're just gone. Other things we might wrestle with a little bit, but or a lot. But he's still going to deliver totally from all. To the degree that, that we yield to him. Y'all understand what I'm talking about. I know you do about being disciplined. It, it's so important, y'all, that we understand this is the day in which we live. If you are prone to gossip, if you are prone to that, and you might be a Christian and you package it in a, in a prayer request, right? Package your gossip in a prayer request. Uh, if it's gossip, it's gossip. And you know in your heart of hearts, if you're gossiping or not, if this is appropriate or not, if you're prone to that, we got to set up a cross right there. That's where that's where we do. It's, it's those. That's reality. This is real life Christianity. Okay, not theoretical Christianity. There's a scripture that says, "Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth." So if I'm prone to gossip, that's it's a conscious decision. I can get a hold of that scripture and I say daily, hourly, or maybe I'm prone to gossip at this time or with these people. Set a watch, O Lord, over my mouth. There was a series of very, very important meetings that he and I had over a long period of time in the context of, of Christianity and so forth. And every time we would meet, every time we'd have to say, Lord, guard our hearts guard our mouths. Let whatever comes out only be you. There's all kinds of things we could have said and in our flesh we wanted to say and they, and they would have been just, just in saying. But Lord set a watch over our mouth. These, these, this is real Christianity. And you know what, y'all? To testify, God helped us. He did just that. He did it every single time. Every single time. I'm thankful for that. I just praise God. This is real. I say it all the time. If it wasn't real, let's go fishing. Let's do something else Sunday. You understand what I'm saying? If it's not real, but if it is real, let's do this and let's do it all the way. Let's live for God all the way. I'm going to close y'all with this uh, scripture. Job 36. 
verse 10. Sounds like a strange place to, to close, but I want to close tonight. Job 36.10. We haven't read a lot of scriptures. I would like y'all, if you haven't turned there, turn there. We're going to read this. D, you can come on up. But Job says, He openeth also their ear, men. He openeth their ear to discipline and commanded that they return from iniquity. God teaches us discipline. He, we have to have the Lord. This whole sermon would, would be pointless. It would be exciting and true, but unhelpful if it wasn't for the Lord Himself to actually work this in our lives. If there wasn't someone greater than us to impart it to us, to impute it to us, to develop it in us as we walk with the Lord. That inner man is being renewed day by day. We're being strengthened day by day. How? Well, I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. And as I keep my eyes on Jesus, He is strengthening me. He is building me up. So thank God. Thank God He keeps us. Thank God He He disciplines us and teaches us. He openeth their ears to discipline and instructs us. Amen. Y'all stand with me tonight. Father, we just come before You in Jesus' name.